Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. People live in a world of their own making. Frankly, that seems to be the problem. Welcome to Angry Planet. Hello and welcome to Angry Planet. I'm Jason Fields. Matthew Galt is hiding around here somewhere, but I'll be damned if I can find him. Anyway... Life in Haiti has rarely been easy. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Corruption is rampant, and it's been invaded more than once since independence, including by the United States. It's little wonder that the half-island nation has suffered repression and political turmoil. And on July 7th, its president, Jovenel Moïse, was assassinated. To help us understand the current situation, and a bit of the history as well. I'm joined by Francois-Pierre-Louis of Queens College in New York. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Can you take us through a little bit of what happened a few weeks ago and what led up to it? In fact, I think this crisis began severely on uh, February 7, 2020, when... President Jovenel Moïse shut down parliament and began to rule by decree. So as of 2020, we only had 11 elected officials in all the country. You had no parliament. You had no local officials. The mayors that were elected locally, they were, their terms were over and there was no interim you know, election to renew their term. And then on February 7, 2021, he was supposed to leave office. He decided to extend his term by another year. And also, around that time, there was an attempted coup against him. And he used that as a pretext to fire the members of the Supreme Court judges. So by the time he was assassinated, Two weeks ago, you don't, all the institutions that could have replaced them were totally dismantled. So therefore, you really have a serious institutional crisis in the country. Was he freely and fairly elected in the first place? No. I'm sorry I said that so fast. When you go, if you go back to how he was elected, first, the first attempt to have an election ended in fiasco. So they had to have an interim government to in order to process the elections the second time around. The second time around, Haiti had a series of crises. We had uh, Hurricane Matthew that destroyed part of the peninsula. 
You also had a lot of the political parties who realized this was already rigged, they didn't want to participate. So he was elected by 500,000 votes out of a population of 11 million people. So therefore, you, you know, how could you express the demands of the people, the needs of the population, when 500,000 people voted for you? Even though he got those numbers, when he opened up, you know, to start, start his cabinet, many of the people who went against him gave him the benefit of the doubt, hoping that he was going to bring everybody together and create a, 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 a calm so that there can be a dialogue. However, he didn't do that. Pretty soon, he began to taunt the opposition. He began to go after the uh, sector of the private sector. And he began to say that he is the president. After God, he is the only one in Haiti. So the other thing also, he was supposed to call midterm elections. He never called midterm elections. He didn't empower the electoral board uh, to hold elections. And in February 2021, he began to come with a, a new spy agency to spy on people. He began to unilaterally rewrite the constitution of the country. And then he began to say that, listen, I'm the most powerful person in Haiti, and saying to the opposition and to the private sector, you, are, you cannot kill me, you cannot kidnap me, you cannot poison me, you cannot overthrow me. Therefore, I am stuck in your throat and no one can get rid of me. People were looking at say, either this guy is crazy. How could you be the president of a country with so much problem and that's the way you speak to the population? Meanwhile, he began to dispossess some of the members of the private sector, but not through parliamentary laws the way you can legally do that, but the, the, when he dispossessed them, he was building his own empire in the northeast of Haiti. He acquired a lot of public lands to build his own business. He created his own private companies. He made invest, investments like to irrigate land in the uh, northeast of Haiti, but a lot of the land were going to be his land so that he can continue his business there. So no one is dumb. You don't come in a country like this. You dispossess people who've been there for 200 years in families in different businesses, and then you expect them to just sit back and look at you and enriching yourself on their back. So this is why he got so much in uh, so many enemies. When so when he got was assassinated, no one knew exactly who might have done it. It became an Agatha Christie story because there are so many people who could have done it. So they all, everyone did it. <laughs> it's like a uh, murder on the Orient Express, right? I think yes. uh, you were, that's what you were talking about, yeah. where yeah. absolutely everybody stabbed him. And so you're not at all sure who actually killed him. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so how did he keep himself in power? Was the military behind him? It had to be something. He kept himself in power by two means. As long as you are supported by the United States of America, you will stay in power. In fact, the shadow power in, the, in Haiti is the U.S. Embassy. The police chief has to be approved by the U.S. Embassy. The ministers have to be approved by the U.S. Embassy. So as long as the U.S. Embassy says, okay, this is the guy we want, it's going to be in power. It's very hard to get rid of this guy if the U.S. Embassy doesn't want. 
The second thing is that and the members of the of his political party and the members of the private sector who supported him unleashed a series of gangs in every neighborhood. So the minute there were demonstrations against him, protests by students, by labor workers, labor unions, and different things, you see these students being shot, the population being terrorized. So everyone who became afraid now to go after him because they would have been unilaterally shot, dismantled, their homes were burned down, and he never expressed any empathy for any of these people who were victims of those gangs. So therefore, the way he kept his power was U.S. support and the gangs terrorizing the public. It sounds like that's something of a pattern in Haiti, would you say? The U.S. supporting dictators, people who they, the United States probably shouldn't support according to democratic principles. I guess I'm asking, this is not exactly a one-off in Haiti's history, right? No. In fact, the first organized themselves over to Duvalier in 1986. And they stood in line to vote for a new constitution, for new elections in 1987. And the army, under the order of and support of foreign countries went out there and began to sh- kill people that were in line, willing to go in uh, to vote. After that, they still went back and organized and had the first free and fair elections in 1990, where Jean-Bertrand Aristide was elected president, and he won 67% of the vote. Six months later, the United States organized a coup with the military to overthrow Aristide. Aristide stayed in exile for almost three years. In 1994, he came back with the support of the Clinton administration because the OAS had passed a resolution not endorsing coup in the Western Hemisphere anymore. So the U.S. had to abide by the OAS and work hard to bring Aristide back, especially Clinton was a Democrat and trying to appeal to the larger uh, African-American community in the U.S., but what happened is that Clinton went with Aristide to, to Haiti, but he never dismantled the army by disarming the people. So they, dis- they let the army go with their weapons. Pretty soon, you begin to have summer killings on the streets in the streets of Port-au-Prince by members of the military who were dismantled. At that time, you have Jesse Helms, who was the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And this guy said, he would not give one penny to Aristide. So Aristide came back in 1994 with no U.S. economic support, no support from the uh, World Bank, no support from um, Inter-American Development Bank, no support from any financial institutions that could have rebuilt the country after several years of embargo. Aristide fought, went back again in 2000 as uh, president, and a few years later, he was overthrown again. And since then, there has never been peace in the country. Matéli, Michel Matéli, who became president in 2011, was not the uh, first place candidate. Secretary Hillary Clinton went from Cairo, Egypt, where she was having a meeting, and landed in the morning in Port-au-Prince and imposed to President Preval that Matéli should be the president of the country. With a lot of threats, to send Preval into exile, to freeze his bank account, to, to uh, go after his supporters, 
So whoever reluctantly accepted and allowed Martelly to become president. And remember, President Clinton, when he said uh, in 1994, he had Aristide agree to let the Rice Corporation from Arkansas to be the sole seller, exporter, importer, exporter of rice to Haiti. So the whole agricultural sector of Haiti was destroyed with imported rice from the U.S. Even Clinton had to apologize because of that decision later on. And how important is the agricultural sector to Haiti? Is it one of the major uh, industries? It used to be, because Haiti is primarily an agricultural uh, in economy. People have subsistence uh, agriculture, the backyard or the land that they had had everything on it so that they can have a meal at night. When they began to dump the, uh, the milk, the, the rice, and sorghum, all the other products from the U.S. to Haiti, they completely destroyed the countries. Then you, become, you begin to have a population that is very destitute. There is no industrial jobs. They couldn't go to Miami like they used to go in the 1980s or in the Caribbean. They began to swell up the uh, slums and the uh, you know cities around the shanty towns around the big cities. And you have an idle population, which is 70% young. 70% of the population is less than 30. So you have all these people watching TV, watching what life could be, because obviously in every shanty town, you have a, a TV watching Dallas, watching the rich and the famous, and they're asking themselves, how come they cannot have that? So you begin to have a contradiction between what they're imposing on the population and what they, what they want. And whenever a Haitian try to organize themselves to say, no, we don't want the way it has been imposed on us, they unleash terror on the population. And that's a tradition going back to the Duvalier regime and probably even before then. Can because you... remember, uh, the Americans occupied Haiti in 1915, and they stayed there for 17 years. They restructured, they restructured the economy. And since the time that time, until today, they have never really left Haiti. In other words, whenever a government comes in that they don't like or they didn't impose it, they undermine that government. I'm going to go very far back now, if that's okay with you. Sure. Haiti has a fascinating history, not least because it was the only successful slave rebellion in all of history. There have been rebellions. There were rebellions against the Roman state. There were rebellions down through history. But Haiti is unique. Yes. I've heard it said other places that that has been part of the problem ever since for Haiti. Can you explain that thought and how important the history of Haiti is to what's happening now? Yes. Let me start by saying that when Haitians had the revolution in 1804, Haiti was the richest colony of France. Many of the owners of these plantations came to the United States. They landed in Baltimore and Louisiana, and they began to have a propaganda against Haiti, against the revolution. Thomas Jefferson, in his writing, one of his key aspects was to keep Haiti at bay. No diplomatic relations with Haiti after the revolution, try to contain Haiti in a way so that this revolution wouldn't come to the south of the U.S. So historically, Haiti was never seen as a country that could progress. In fact, the saying, 
is that whenever other Caribbean countries wanted to get their independence, the French and the uh, colonial English would say, oh, you want to be like Haiti, meaning that we have to set an example that white supremacy can never be overcome. And what took place in Haiti was the first successful revolution where the idea of white supremacy was undermined in the sense that first all human beings are created equal. And the first constitution of Haitians of Haiti in 1804 was that as long as you come to the land of Haiti, it doesn't matter what color you were, where you came from, you were given independence. There were historically in the in the past where slaves had landed in, in Haiti coming to the U.S. and they ended in Haiti. Instead of re- re- returning the slaves to the Americans, the, go- the president of Haiti bought those slaves so that they can stay in Haiti. So you have a universal freedom, universal human rights being declared in Haiti, not on the basis of color, but on the basis of... And this was a challenge to the white supremacist idea that blacks are supposed to be inferior. So even in France, that never taught the, the school children about the Haitian Revolution, because it became a shame for France that those slaves that they did, they took to saw as commodity and some humans were able to defeat the greatest army in the world at that time, Napoleon. And it was because of the French defeating the, the Haitians, defeating the Napoleon army, that Napoleon decided to sell the Louisiana Purchase to Jefferson uh, so that he can expand the United States to what it is today. So therefore, we have contributed a lot to the wealth of the United States, but the United States has never helped us build a society, a democratic society. And still today, imagine, uh, uh, Jason, that Jordan Morris was assassinated. In a f- within a few hours, the UN representative and the State Department recognized his uh, Jovenel Moïse fired Prime Minister Claude Joseph as Prime Minister of the country without even consulting with anyone in Haiti to ask them, what do you guys think? When his name was linked to the assassination of Jovenel Moïse, the U.S. backtracked and now recognized Ariel Henry as the Prime Minister, but there was never any consultation any discussion or dialogue with members of civil society that have been working for the past two years in trying to mend the fabrics of of Haitian society so that they can find a common agreement on how to to govern the country. So until today, the U.S. bypass members of civil society and dictating as if they're talking to their children. And the new prime minister was appointed by loathed and seemingly authoritarian. Yes. (laughs) So what do you think, what's the outcome going to be in the near term, do you think? And first, the president cannot appoint a prime minister without the parliament because the parliament had to ratify the prime minister. So whether it was Claude Joseph or the current prime minister, they are both unconstitutional and illegitimate because there was no other institutions in the country to legitimize, give them legitimacy. What is going to happen? I hope it doesn't happen. First, civil society groups are not going to stand by and let the U.S. continue this process. Many of the people right now in the current government, right, are linked to the previous government. 
And the number one reason that Jovenel Moïse was supported by the U.S. and several sectors in, in Haiti was because he decided not to go on with the corruption scandal that's involved with the Petro-Caribbean money. Remember Haiti, when Matéli was in power, and then he handed the power to Jovenel, Haiti had, a, he had $5 billion to spend on infrastructure, road projects, housing, education, and different other things. Right now, Haiti is broke. And Jason, if I take you to Haiti right now, you will not see anything that was built with that money. All that money was siphoned out of Haiti by all the powers that be, and no one wants to be held accountable for spending that money on the end to keep the Haitian people in the misery that they are today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One thing I've been curious about for a long time is... Again, it's a pretty basic question, but how do people actually get by on a day-to-day -day basis? How do they find food to eat? I've met people in Haiti, sometimes who haven't eaten for two days or three days. They're just drinking water or salt water. But how, typically, Haitians live on less than a dollar a day. They can only have one meal or what is with no meat, maybe rice or cornmeal, something basic. Many times also, there's a lot of solidarity. It's very common to see that if you are cooking today, there will be an extra plate of food in the house for a neighbor, a friend, someone who is having a hard time. There's a lot of sharing taking place in Haiti. And also, you have about a million Haitians living out in the diaspora, primarily in the United States. Many of these people send money back home. Sometimes they send $20 Sometimes they say $100. Every weekend, when you go to the transfer agencies, you will see a line of people sending money, not necessarily to their family members, but to a friend or to someone they grew up with who is having a hard time in Haiti, and they're sending some money to them. So the diaspora supports uh, Haiti a lot. But a lot of that money goes toward eating, not so much for investments or anything like that. The other thing also that happens since culture was destroyed, the international community is very happy to distribute surplus food to Haitians. So you have a lot of NGOs. Their main business is go around and distribute some rice, surplus food, peanuts, different things that they don't need anymore in their, in their country. They're bringing it to Haiti. And these people, they are feeding, feeding centers where they can go get a meal. Now, people may not realize that. It destroys your ego and who you are. When you wake up in the morning, you have to go somewhere and stand in line to get a, a bowl of you know, rice 
when you could have, you know, been very productive yourself. So right now, because of the crisis for the past uh, two years, there is uh, a famine that, that's hidden in the country. And there's a real food deficit in the country because we have different issues. First, the global warming. Some of the um, places that Haitians used to uh, do culture are no longer able to sustain agriculture because they cannot control the season anymore. The rain comes whenever it wants to. There is no rainy season they used to have, regular rainy season. The second thing is that many of them are working on primitive means of cultivating the land. So you don't have machines, you don't have irrigation, water. So they, are, they will depend on goodwill of the sun or, or the or rain to take care of it. So you have a deplete, depletion of production. And third, there's never been a reinvestment in the agricultural sector. So even if they wanted to really improve the agricultural sector, there's no money there because of the corruption. So you have that is really creating more havoc in the rural areas, in addition to the corruption that has taken place. So people really live on charity, which is not the right way to keep a population going. Are you a member? I didn't want to just assume, but are you a member of the diaspora yourself? Yes, I am. And my story is, I came here when I was 14 in the United States. My parents were already here because my, 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 my uncles were killed by Duvalier. I have a long story of persecution in the family. All the men on my mother's side were killed by Duvalier. And so that created a lot of havoc for my dad. For the, so my dad came here in 1965. My mom came in 1970. And then we came in 1974. But, in that, but I know, as I was growing up here, realizing what was happening in Haiti, I decided to be more involved with Haitian politics. So in 1986, I went back and lived there. And I organized in Haiti, and that's how I got to meet Aristide. And I was very close to him in the campaign. In 1991, I was in his private cabinet. So when the coup happened in 1991, I came back to the States again. But I've been back and forth to Haiti on a regular basis, working with a lot of the groups, especially the sectors of the democratic society, doing training. I, I work promoting peasant associations, uh, helping with microcredit, and getting people to do the uh, leadership development. I do different things because I think you don't, a human being cannot just stay and be dependent on other people. And there's, when, if you go to Haiti and you go to the countryside, you meet with the people, you wonder how come you have 11 million people, you have less than 11,000 police officials in Haiti, and no one is killing each other. It's because people, Haitians are peaceful people. They're very religious. The, the poverty doesn't define them. And they understand that they're not, they are poor, not because they're stupid or they cannot read, or they are poor because it was designed by the international community to keep them that way. And every time they try to step out of it, the, the international community comes in, put their boots on their head, and so that they can be cautioned and stay where they are. And that, to be serve an, an, uh, as an example to other people who are earning, yearning for their independence and freedom. I guess it's fair to say that U.S. officials have a different view. I have one more question, which was about 
the earthquake, which was, God, how many years ago was that now? Uh, that was 2010. It's almost 11 years. And that had a huge and ongoing impact on Haiti as well. Does that feed into instability and, and poverty? And uh, I'm telling you, when I came back here in, in New York with my family, I spent two months. I was totally numb. What I saw in Haiti, when you survive something like that, you saw two things. You saw the destruction, the carnage, but you see, you also saw the capacity of the human dignity. To, you know, I, I was helping distributing food in one, one place, <clears throat> and I met a good friend of mine. His mother died, and they were doing separating the dead from the people that, you know, wanted or alive. They were helping feeding them and all of that. And I said, my God, here's a guy who just lost his mother. He's still active, organizing. And you ask yourself, how could this guy has, can have the courage to do, that, to do that? And a lot of people were doing that. There was no looting. There was, there was a sense of, we got to come together because this is a real crisis. And the earthquake uh, provided an opportunity to reset the situation in Haiti. And everybody had hope with all that money and the solidarity from the international community, that was going to be the starting point to redo Haiti. We had President Clinton was in charge of the reconstruction with, along with the um, Haitian government. But not much came out of that. No one knows exactly how that money was spent. Who got it? Out of all that promise. So it seems like every time there's a crisis, it presents an opportunity to rebuild you have a total deception of how that happened. And people become disappointed by how the leaders, the people they trust, use those resources. They use them for themselves instead of for the population. But the earthquake was really could have been the starting point to rebuild Haiti, to do a new society. But he was not given that chance. The Petro-Caribbean money, the $5 billion that Haiti was able to negotiate with Venezuela, was supposed to be another opening also to rebuild the society. And that, the whole money was stolen from the people without any accountable accountability. I think what happened in Haiti, in order for Haitians to have peace, to have closure, you must stop the impunity that's taking place in Haiti. You kill judges, no one goes to jail. You assassinate lawyers, no one goes to jail. You massacre people in the uh, slums, no one is, uh, is held accountable. Now you see the president was just assassinated. I doubt very much the way there would be justice. The way they kept, you know, changing the narrative. It's a way for people to, to lose track. And sooner or later, there will not be anyone being held accountable for such an organized, systematic assassination of a president. So as long as you have impunity in Haiti, the people who are powerful can feel that they can do whatever they want, and they will never be held accountable for these things. And you cannot start build rebuild a society if there's no justice. But it's a vicious uh, cycle, circle as well, in that you can't have that sort of justice without some sort of civil society that's functioning. Yes, but the thing is that the minute you begin to administer justice, all people accountable for the things that they've done, 
you begin to rebuild the civil society. In fact, what we need, really need in Haiti is a truth and reconciliation like we had, they had in South Africa. Obviously, it's not, people are not talking about revenge. You're talking about the fact that there are wrongs that have been committed. There are wrongs that have been done that you need to have closure about these things. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that the guy who's walking on the street took your father away, killed your father in jail, and now he's walking, walking next to you as a powerful man, and no one can say anything to him. You may not want to go kill the guy or bring him to court, but that is an apology. You know, I did this. I'm sorry I did it. I hope I, I'm repenting. I hope that won't happen again. Then you have reconciliation. But if the guy is still in power, his son now is inheriting, inheriting the power because that person knows he has the backing of the U.S. and the international constitution uh, institutions that they can do whatever they want. Then you, you, that's where how the cycle continues of people being felt that the, the wrong has been done to them and there is no way they can seek justice. That's why when things happen in Haiti, you see people destroying things. You see a lot of chaotic situation. It's not because those people want it that way. It's because there was no other avenue for them to seek justice. What do you see happening next? Do you see a path forward towards justice? Yeah, or? I, I am an internal optimist. You cannot give up. I, will, I, I hope that Ariel Henry would really try to bring a sense of you know, calm and dialogue. Uh, unfortunately, the way it was chosen by the international community, what they call the core groups of uh, countries. Those who sanctioned Moise, who accepted all the things he did, are the ones who chose him. And there he has a lot of members of Moise's cabinet in his own cabinet too. So therefore, I hope there can be a new opening. I don't see how it's going to happen right now if this is continues right now, the way it is. If there's justice, if they can find who the killers are, in, in Haiti, of the uh, president Jovenel Moïse. The, US, the Haitian government will not be able to bring them to justice, but the international community can, because it, it is an international crime too, because you have Colombians involved, you have Americans. We don't know who the backers are, who finance it. Maybe you have international financing for the crime. If you can bring all these people to get a you know, trial, either here or outside of, the, uh, of Haiti, then you can begin to have uh, rebuilding civil society and building trust in the population. But if it goes like it, all the others, then you still the crisis is going to continue. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share before we go? You know, the situation is so chaotic and the gang's killing people at random. Yeah. You might go out shopping and then you get killed. You know, it's, it's just, an, you know, I hope you never live in a situation where you hear a gunshot you cannot call the police station because it's the police that's shooting people. And you don't want to call them because you don't want to tell to let them know where you are so that they don't come after you. So, you know, I, I lived that situation in Haiti after the coup with Aris, uh, when I still had the coup in 1991, where they were going door to door, going after people from Lavalas, and I had to go into hiding, leaving my family in Haiti, my two young ch- uh, sons and my wife, not knowing what would happen the next day. And you wake up every day, you hear people being caught, killed, their houses were broken into. So you don't know where to turn. 
it's really, you know, I can feel like what happened in Bosnia and other places in Rwanda, when the state is against you. So you have no protection at all. It's a scary, scary situation. Francois, Pierre-Louis, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me again. Thank you.